Good morning, Grace. This morning we are going to be in Mark chapter 5. The, the second half of the chapter this morning will be verses 21 through uh, the end, verse 43. And so if you want to go ahead and be opening up, please do. I want to stop and just acknowledge where we're at. For the past few weeks, you know that we've been in Mark, and we're just picking up where we left off last week. Um, and, and really, if you've been with us for even longer than that, you know that we've been in Mark really since the fall. We started this series in Mark where we're going to walk our way in, through the entire book. Uh, and we, we, we went through the first few chapters and then took a break uh, during Advent so that we could have a series on Advent and celebrate Advent. And then we've picked back up in the book of Mark since the beginning of the year. And so this morning, we're going to continue in that. I, wanna, I want to take a minute, though, and just acknowledge a couple of the things that have happened the past couple of weeks. Because I think they'll tie very closely with what we have this morning. So I want us to think back all the way to chapter 4. Because at the end of chapter 4, we see this story where Jesus is in the boat with his disciples. And he goes to sleep in the bottom of the boat. And and all of a sudden, the wind and the waves are crashing in. And what do his disciples do? They go down into the boat and they, they, they wake him up and they say, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Silence, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then last week, Greg Baker talked to us about this guy who, who was possessed by uh, demons. And not just one demon, not just two demons, but a legion of demons. And, and one of my favorite things that Greg said last week that I think was, was just uh, a reminder of, of the big picture of what happened this week is there was no power in numbers for these demons when they're standing before Jesus. We get to see Jesus' power over the wind and the waves and nature as a whole. Last week, we got to see Jesus' power over demons and the spiritual world, if you will. Jesus had taken this man from chaos back into order. He'd restored him as an image bearer, as Greg alluded to last week. A beautiful picture and a reminder and, and just this great opportunity for us to acknowledge the power that Jesus brought when he came. So this morning, we're going to pick up in verse 21. So if you will read with me, it'll be on the screen or you can follow along in your Bible. So verse 21, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now a woman was suffering from bleeding for 12 years, had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Verse 34, daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. 
Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion and people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. Then they gave him strict orders and no, that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. And as we read this story in Mark, I want us to just take a quick break and I want us to think through some things that maybe some of us have went through over the past two years. Has anyone in the room had to quarantine because of COVID in the last two years? Some of you are lying. Or maybe you should have quarantined. Shame on you. Secondly, how many of people have actually had COVID? How many of you have had to stop and make a phone call to people that you had seen the day before after having COVID? Yeah. So I can't help but think back to it's not been that long ago. In fact, the last time I was up here, sure enough, the next morning I woke up, had a headache and was feverish, went and got a COVID test and tested positive. And I immediately began sending out texts to many people in this room going, I am so sorry. Right? If you've had to do that, it is a pretty uh, tough spot. Because although you're like, I don't think I, like my symptoms are fairly mild. It's not that big of a deal for me. You still feel the weight of like, is the person that I give this to or potentially gave this to going to get really sick? And are they going to be in contact with maybe some, some older parents or grandparents or, you know, are they going to have it as easy as I did? And is it going to mess up their plans because they were supposed to go on a trip and now they've got, and you just go through all of these terrible scenarios in your head and it's kind of heavy. And there's also the weight of like, there's a lot of people that have been really, really sick from this. And I don't want that to be me either. And so it's like a heavy time. And you're stuck at home being told you have to stay at home and you can't see anybody. It's a really dark time. Whether it's three days or 10 or 14 or whatever it was at the time that you had to do it. And, and praise the Lord, there are many of you in the room that texted me back and were extremely gracious and were like, hey, no big deal. Like, it's okay. I know you had no idea. If you need anything, please let us know. We would love to bring you something. Can we bring you a meal? Can I, is there anything that you don't have that you need? And there are people in this room that literally brought us stuff while we were stuck in the house with two crazy children that drove us crazy for 10 days straight, Right? And I'm super thankful for that. But I, I remember like kind of the heaviness of just that moment of having to text everybody and being worried about what does it mean? Am I going to get somebody else sick? Well, I want us to think for a minute about this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. Just, I, I, I want us to take a minute and think about the fact that really in the Jewish uh, purity laws, if you will, all the women that were on their menstrual cycle were seen as unclean for the entirety of that. And in fact, they had to continue to be seen as unclean and be treated as unclean for seven days until after they had stopped bleeding. And so 
Number one, can you imagine having to go through, um, maybe not quite the same as the COVID quarantine, but like this, this being unclean for extended periods of time, maybe every month? That doesn't sound fun at all. But now I want you to think about a woman who's been dealing with excessive bleeding for 12 years. And, and, and just, just for reference, right, the purity laws would have said that just a woman on her normal menstrual cycle had seven days after she had stopped bleeding and then she could be seen as clean again. But those that had excessive problems of whatever sort didn't just get to be clean after seven days. They had to actually go through a, 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 a washing process and then they had to go and do a sacrifice before they could be seen as clean again. So this woman... Who, who comes to Jesus in the crowd, I want us to just kind of put ourselves in her shoes for a minute because I want us to understand that this was heavy, that it was probably very dark. She had probably really been seen as an outcast, maybe even just as much as the, the guy in the last story who was demon-possessed. Because all the time she's unclean, we can't touch her, she can't approach people because if she approaches somebody who's even halfway serious about their Jewish faith, faith they, they, can't, they can't be in contact with her, she's unclean. It's a heavy spot to be. It makes our COVID quarantine seem silly. And this woman's been dealing with this for not two years, but for 12. And so we sit here and we see this story unfold where she has decided that I have seen every doctor. I've tried everything that I can. I am in pain. She is probably extremely weak. When you're losing blood all the time, you're weak. You don't have strength to do the things that you want to do or should do or whatever. She's emotionally exhausted. She's socially just an outcast and doesn't have probably a ton of support or people that are just reaching out. And even the ones that would reach out and maybe come and spend time with her, she feels the guilt and shame of making them unclean. And so she doesn't want to have to deal with that. That's even heavy. And so we see her say, look, I've heard I've overheard that this Jesus fellow is coming and he has done some miraculous things. And so maybe if I could just get to him and touch his cloak, maybe if I could just touch his robe, maybe then I would be healed. I, I believe if I, if I can touch his robe, I'll be healed. And so you can imagine, right? She probably is, is covered anyway, but she's probably gonna try to just blend in and make sure nobody sees her because if anybody sees her trying to approach this teacher, this healer, she would be rebuked, shamed, probably sent away. Because she's, she's unclean. And so she probably covers up and tries to sneak into this crowd and just blend in because she doesn't want to be known and just get close enough to reach out and touch. And she does it. And immediately it says, she felt in her body that she had been healed. What a relief. And so she probably touches him and begins to back up and is probably you know, overwhelmed and, and feels just some relief. But then what does Jesus do? Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? And now the weight of that has now come back to her because she knows that she just walked up and touched this teacher, this healer, and she's not supposed to be anywhere near him. In fact, she is seen as a problem and unclean. And so now she's dealing with the shame and guilt of the fact that she has come and touched when she wasn't supposed to. And she's scared and she's nervous and she doesn't know how this teacher healer is going to respond. She doesn't know what to think. She... And then the disciples are literally mocking Jesus like, are you kidding me, Jesus? Do you see everybody that's around? And you're asking who just touched you? There are crowds all around you. There's 
all kinds of people touching you right now. But this woman knows without a shadow of a doubt that he is talking about her. And it says she came in fear and trembling before God. Head probably down, doesn't even want to look up into the eyes of Jesus. But tells Jesus what's happened, tells him the whole story. And what does Jesus say? Verse 34. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And be healed from your affliction. The relief of just the physical healing that has happened would have been remarkable. The relief of Jesus looking at her, probably with her head down because she doesn't want to even acknowledge because she's full of shame and guilt because she's been in and amongst. The relief of Jesus looking at her and saying, daughter. Jesus chose to show grace, compassion, to heal the outcast again. In the midst of all this, this is like a sub-story in the bigger story of what's going on right here in this passage. And we actually look, and the whole reason why Jesus was walking this path is because as soon as he had gotten into this city, immediately Jairus, the synagogue leader, comes up to him. And he says, Jesus, listen, my daughter is sick. She's dying. I need you to just go lay hands on her and heal her. She's dying. I I've tried everything. I don't know what else to do. Will you please just come lay hands on my daughter? Please come, come heal her. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. He's scared. In fact, I want us to think about synagogue leaders or Jewish leaders of the day. Almost every single example of Jewish leaders approaching Jesus, how do they approach Jesus? They come to Jesus questioning, criticizing trying to catch Jesus in some kind of theological trap, trying to discredit Jesus. Jairus has got to be very desperate to approach Jesus like this as a synagogue leader. He's scared to death to lose his daughter. And so he comes to Jesus and says, please, will you please come with me? Will you please come lay hands on my daughter? I don't want to lose my daughter. She is very sick. She is dying. And so Jesus begins to make his way. And Jairus is sitting here watching this go down more than likely based on what we understand and sees Jesus heal this woman and then turn around and he's taking this time to like look her in the eyes and say, daughter, your faith has saved you. And Jairus, you can imagine, is, 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 he's, he's panicking. He's worried. He just wants to get to his house so that Jesus can lay hands on his daughter. And then sure enough, some people that had come from his house show up and they just say to him, it's too late. She's dead. Stop bothering the teacher. I told Greg Markey this morning, I've been a parent for a few years now, and this is one of the first passages or times that it's really, like, hit me. I cannot even imagine having people walk up and say, you got to give up. It's over. She's passed. And Jesus overhears, and he, and he just stops, and he says, don't be afraid, only believe. Believe. 
Jarius and probably the woman that was dealing with his sickness had this just dark cloud over them right now. They're feeling like there is no hope. They're feeling like the darkness is already won. And what happens? Jesus continues on with them. He doesn't let anybody else follow at this point. It's just James and John and Peter. And they go to the leader's house and get there with Jairus. And literally the people are there. They're already weeping and wailing. They already have mourners there to mourn this daughter. They're already like going through this mourning process with this family. And Jesus says, why are you weeping and wailing? Why are you, why, what is all this commotion? She's not dead. She's asleep. And, and they laughed at Jesus. And this wasn't like a ha-ha laugh. This was like, ha. She's not asleep. We know the difference between somebody that's asleep and somebody's dead. This girl is dead. And Jesus puts them all out of the house. And he goes in with Jairus. And he goes in with Jairus' wife, daughter's mother, and then his, his crew. And he walks in and he takes the little girl by the hand and he says, Talitha Kum, little girl, I say to you, get up. And she gets up. And she walks around. Jesus has just taken a girl that was dead and made her alive. He's just restored the parents. What does he say to the parents? He says, hey, get this little girl some food. Right? Take care of your daughter. He restored their places as caretakers and providers for their daughter. Man, When we see the picture that is played out in here, we, we just see these people that are stuck in a place where they feel like the darkness is over one, has already won. This woman that's been dealing with bleeding, more than likely she was probably close to death. She was probably very weak. And it probably wasn't going to take much for her to die because of the disease she'd been dealing with. And this was a last-ditch effort. She was willing to literally go out in the middle of a crowd when she wasn't supposed to be there and just go try to touch. And Jairus is willing to sacrifice probably his good name and Jewish standing so that he could just ask for help because he's desperate and he desperately wants to save his daughter. And Jesus steps in, even when it seems like the darkness is already won. And he raised her to life. I think the picture that Greg painted last week of, of, of taking this man that was... That was overcome by, by demons who, and, and, and taking him from out of control and literally just crazy and a nuisance to everybody. And it says when everybody else showed up and they saw the man, he was sitting dressed orderly. Jesus had restored him to be an image bearer. When Jesus talks to this woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, who'd been an outcast, who had been shamed, who had been felt all kinds of guilt and shame for, for something that she really had very little control of. He looked at her and he said, daughter. He restored her place as an image bearer. What we see Mark doing here in chapter 4, 5, and really in a couple other spots in this book is we see Mark trying to proclaim to us that Jesus has power over wind and waves and disease he has power over demons. He even has power over... 
He's, he's, he's trying to, to show us that this Jesus really is Messiah and he really is God made flesh because there is nothing else that could have saved this woman from the bleeding. She'd already tried it all. There is no one else, nothing else that ever could have raised this 12-year-old little girl from death to life. Only the power that Jesus brought. And so as we sit and we, we kind of un, unpack that in a bigger picture, I want us to think forward as to what is going to happen in the rest of Mark. Because Mark is unpacking this for us, trying to declare who Jesus really is and the power that he really possesses. And so as we look forward here in quite a few chapters, what are we going to see? We're going to see Jesus in the garden. And we're going to see the Roman soldiers come and we're going to see him be shackled and, and, and walked off, right? And these Roman soldiers are going to take him away. And then they're going to mock and they're going to ridicule. They're going to beat. They're going to torture. They're going to do all kinds of things to him. He's going to stand before Pilate, stand before a judge of some sort, and be wrongly accused. He's going to carry his cross up the hill. He's going to be hung on the cross. Church, I think Mark wants us to know he's not shackled, he's not beaten, he's not made fun of, he's not ridiculed, he's not carrying that cross. He's not hung on that cross because he's powerless to stop the people who are trying to do this to him. He's chosen to lay that power down. He's chosen to come and be the sacrificial lamb for you and I. This Jesus that hung on a cross and died could have stopped it all at any point. He was powerful enough to do so. But that's not what he did. So as Mark declares to us that Jesus has power over the wind and the waves and over demons and over disease and even over death, it is preparing us so that when we see him put on the cross, we know it is by his choice and not by any human power. And so that we can have hope for those three days and then we can know and rejoice as we just sang about that he is going to raise again. Tim Keller says it like Jesus went to the tomb so that we could raise from it. And so believer in the room, look, I hope and pray that as we read this story and we understand this place that these people are in, dark spots where it feels like there is no hope and that darkness is already won and your daughter is already dead, stop even bothering the teacher. When we get to those moments, I hope and pray we remember that we serve a God who can raise from the dead. I hope that we remember, we rejoice, we, we respond in worship to a God who chose to lay down his power Come, be tortured, be crucified on a cross to make a way for those that would believe in his name. Look, if you have never trusted in Jesus, I hope that as you see the power that's displayed here in this story, I hope that number one, you believe that this is true because I do. Jesus really did take a girl that was 12 years old who had died and raised her to life. He really did heal a woman who had been sick for 12 years with no answers, no matter what doctor she had been to. He really did that. 
And so I hope and pray this morning that God would soften your heart and that you would respond and you would trust in Jesus because I truly believe that all of the darkness and all of the struggles and all of the hard things that we're dealing with in this world, the only hope is Jesus. I believe that he is the only one that can restore. He is the only one that can make right. He is creator and he intends to... to to save and to restore those that would trust in Jesus. And so I hope and pray that you would trust in him this morning. I hope that as we continue in Mark, that we would continue to seek out who God is and what Jesus did so that we can respond in worship and we can respond in awe of what he's done. And that it would drive us to a point where we would want to tell the people around us about it. So this morning, the band is going to come back up. I hope that we would also see this morning that Jesus chose to take care of the outcast. He chose to take care of the sick, the unclean. He chose to love those that yet again seemed unlovable to everybody around. God, we come to you this morning. Lord, I am thankful that you give us your word. I'm thankful that as we look into your word and we see these stories about who you are and what you have done, and we see these stories of just miraculous power that are done by Jesus himself, Lord, I'm just so thankful, and I pray that it would drive us to a place where we would rejoice, where we would celebrate, where we would worship you because you are all-powerful king, and I pray that as we think forward to the cross, Lord, I pray that we would be humbled, that we would, we would just recognize that you chose to lay your life down, to take on the weight of our sin, so that one day we could be raised and we could reign with you. God, thank you for that sacrifice. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Lord God, we love you. We praise you. Jesus.